Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. The terrible twos are seen as a inevitable phase of development when we name them the terrible twos. But the terrible twos are actually a sequelae of insufficient parenting, which is not to say it isn't normal and understandable because of your parents and your parents and their parents and whatever, but it's entirely avoidable. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Like money, competence leads to problems when we think we know what it is, and when we think we have it, but actually don't. To get the highest peaks of excellence, you have to take a deconstructive approach to competence, that is, focusing on where you are not so competent and be willing to not know. We're going to delve into the true definition of competence and where incompetency is born. This episode was originally recorded as part of the Money from Burden to Freedom course, which is now available at courses.clearandopen.com. I offer a weekly member webcast, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. This is session seven, I'm quite certain, 99% anyway, of Money from burden to freedom, something like that. Yeah, money. As my father used to say, money, 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 which I think is reference to an old 50s song that I've never heard. But uh, yeah, some of you know it. You could tell by the smile on your face up here. Okay, so we're going to skip digestions and questions today. There may be room at the end, but I have a lot planned for us. Uh, we're going to talk about competence today. And then passion path probably next week. So this is this is where like I've sort of got you right where I want you processing wise. So now that you're semi disoriented and open to hearing new things on a deep unconscious emotional level, this is where I try to cram in as much information as I can while you're open to it. That's the strategy for how this works. Just so you know. Okay, so let's dive right in. And by the way, if you do have questions that, that there's no room for, remember there's office hours. Uh, we had one on Tuesday and there will be one in 10 days or so. So we're going to talk about competence today. And competence is one of those things that we think we know what it is and we think we have it. And that is the biggest problem. Just like money, right? You think you know what it is and now you discovered, actually, it's not quite what I thought it was. Or at least some parts of you had some delusions about it. So competence, as said, the emotional and energetic expression of caring characterized by one's commitment to excellence in whatever task at hand calls one's skill set into action while consciously embracing one's original self-chosen 
motive for doing the task in the first place. Now, that is a mouthful, and we may have time to parse it today. We may not. But uh, more important than that is the origin of incompetence. Because as I'll talk about probably later, the way you become competent is not by good intentions and trying hard, which is how most people hold it. They hold it, well, if they're, they're a good person, because you know everybody thinks they're a good person. If you're a good person and you mean well and try hard, well, surely you must be competent, right? Well, as is easy to observe, that's not the case. The way you become, that's a constructive approach to competence. In, constructive, not in that it works, constructive the way I usually use it, and that it's about adding something. I'll add more good intentions. I'll add harder work. I'll add trying. I'll add that. That doesn't work. What works inevitably, if you want to get to the highest peaks of excellence, is deconstructive. And deconstructive relationship to competence is looking at where you're incompetent. That makes sense? You look at where you fail. That's why getting fired is one of the greatest gifts you can get in the work world because it means you are incompetent. Now, could be for innocent reasons, you know, maybe you were in the wrong job or whatever, but that's what it means. I've been fired and I challenge any of you to top me on this. I've been fired 10 times, 10 times before I was 40. And for the last 12 years, I've been self-employed. So if I, I should adjust it per year's employment, actually, because it's probably less than 10. <laughs> Ed's counting his triumph, his, his triumphant failures. And the reason getting fired is such a great uh, lesson is because it, it hits us sort of literally where we live, right? That's our, um, what do they call that? Uh, your life thing, the way you, I mean, you make a living. It's a funny expression, is it? The way you make a living. I make a living doing, you know, selling newspapers or whatever, whatever. That's my life. I'm doing this, you know, it's sort of screwed up in a way. But when you get fired from the thing you're doing to make a living, well, that literally hits you where you live, doesn't it? It's like, well, how am I going to make a living now? I've been fired. I'm, I've been declared incompetent in, in this thing. And so it's quite sobering. It's like the work equivalent of um, your spouse divorcing you against your will. And in the same way, it teaches you quite a lot. You were in the wrong place, in the wrong job. You had a distorted self-image about how good you were at something because you can't try harder on top of that. You can't get fired and then say, okay, boss, I get it. I'm going to try harder next week. No, they're like, you can't come back, right? So it short circuits the constructive good intentions because you can bring an infinite number of good intentions and it will not work. You have lost the job, right? You can do, you can continue to do what you were doing maybe, but now you're doing it for free and no one will pay attention. Yeah. And you've only been, you've got so far to go having only been fired four times. No, now I'm not prescribing that you should go out and get yourself fired. I am unusual in case you haven't noticed. And I needed to be fired that many times because I had a quite a wide gap between how I saw myself and what was actually true. And if I added, if the 10 times was nothing, if I added just all of the warnings and severe accountabilities and all that, it's probably, you know, several dozen. I've been getting myself into trouble since I was an, an early lad. 
And um, that was how I've found my way in this world. That's what I needed. Uh, hopefully, uh, you don't need that as much, but uh, we learn a lot through boundaries. Okay, so now I want to go all the way back to our childhood and talk about where incompetency is actually born at an emotional level. So what we need as children, I would assert, and this of course depends on the psychological model that you are operating in, but in in my picture and according to the training I've had, what children need is to have their parents feel what they're feeling while they're feeling it. It's in an immediacy of resonance and presence and the parent needs to feel the internal reality of the child as if they're them. It's really, really intimate. And this is quite possible, but not at all common because of how your parents were raised by their parents and all the way back ad infinitum. So to the degree a parent is not able to be emotionally immediate and present with their child, which, by the way, has nothing to do with their good intentions or their own internal experience of how much they love you. It has nothing to do with that. They can tell themselves and have the internal experience that they love you, you know, more than chocolate and anything, whatever, more than anything in the world. But if they don't have the skill and the emotional porosity, really the level of healing that allows them to be immediate with you as a child, then it leaves wounding. And the first wound is hurt. There's a hurt. There's like the, because children as infants, we are our emotions. There's no mental body there. There's no ego there for a couple of years. So when we're upset, we become upset. And unlike our physical digestive system, which we are born with, we're not born with an emotional digestive system. So what the parent is doing by feeling what we're feeling with us, and you can see this, if, you, if, if a baby is really upset and you get someone who's emotionally porous to show up in that moment, the baby will relax. And that's different than distracting them with a mobile or something. That's different. But I have the ability to do this because I did a shit ton of work in my uh, 30s. And when I fly on airplanes and there's a baby crying that's making me crazy, I will just go over to the baby and look in its eyes and make it stop crying by just feeling what it's feeling. It works about eight or nine times out of 10. And the, the funniest part is the parents' reactions because they just go into this total shame spiral about it usually because they can't pay too much attention to what I did because then they'll have to ask themselves, why can't they do it? Because I just gave their baby what they are supposed to give their baby, but they can't. It's a total mess. But it's great for the baby, and it's great for me to get some peace and quiet on the plane. So it's a useful skill for a lot of reasons. I'm just raising kids. Okay, so that's what children need. They need that energetic and emotional intimacy and immediacy. When they don't get it, you get hurt. Hurt is the first contraction. What that leads to that feeling of hurt that then happens again and again and again, eventually that grows sort of like uh, Russian egg dolls. You get another layer on top of it because the hurt keeps getting hurt. So uh, this is the beginnings of our rudimentary defense system. Hurt is a contraction, but it's not defensive per se. But the next layer is anxiety. Anxiety is fear of future hurt. 
Anxiety is the next layer that says, hmm, we're continuing to get hurt. We got to do something about this. So let's look forward into the future as soon as the infant starts to get a sense of time, you know, which is certainly not, I don't know, not in the first three months anyway. But eventually they get, they begin to develop some sense of time. And so anxiety is the next one to show up in the scene. And it's, it starts to look forward into the future to see if there's a way to prepare for or prevent or do something to prevent future hurt. That, as you might predict, uh, inevitably fails as well. And then the next emotional reaction is rage. And this is what we call, at least in the States, uh, the terrible twos, which is really a terrible name, because the terrible twos are seen as like a inevitable phase of development. And when we name them the terrible twos, that's what's happening there. But it, the terrible twos are actually a sequelae of insufficient uh, parenting, which is not to say it isn't normal and understandable because of your parents and your parents and their parents and whatever, but it's entirely avoidable if you're actually with and meeting the child where it is. So rage comes up and rage is like a protest because I keep getting hurt and I can't seem to look into the future and stop it from happening. And now I'm pissed. I'm mad as hell. I'm not taking it anymore. Now, this is another reasonable strategy, but of course it works worst of all because this upsets the parents, often because the parents are unable to be with their own anger And societally, anger is seen as the most negative emotion, pretty much. So there's no place for this whatsoever. So what do parents do when the the two-year-old is being terrible, right? Well, first, they frame it as this terrible thing. They don't go, wow, what's the upset about? I mean, they might to some degree, but there's only so much they can take. So the, the child throwing a tantrum is given timeouts or ignored or yelled at, shaken even, in worst case scenarios, the parents don't react well to that. So the next stop on the, this, this um, nightmare of a childhood for all of us, because I would assert all of this happened to us, is the key point that I'm wanting to get to. This is where the defense system in us actually starts to take its initial shape. Because we get that Mom and dad don't like this rage stuff. This is not working. They withdraw love and they get upset, whether they show it or not. They may be decent on the outside showing one thing, but if on the inside they don't like it, child can feel that because as children, we're just emotional sponges. So we sense that we're not accepted and not loved when we're expressing rage. What happens then? That, ladies and gentlemen, is the birth of control. Control is what happens when we get the sense of like, hmm, when I behave in this angry way, I lose attention, I lose love, I lose acceptance. And when I calm down, when they want me to, suddenly I'm their pride and joy again. And that's the beginning of our defense system. That's the beginning, really, of the ego. I mean, the ego, it's, I mean, it's, it's a verb, so you can't say it just suddenly appears at any given time. But that's one of the best ways to talk about the actual genesis of the function of the ego. And so the ego is, is born in this way as a it's, a, it's a strategic function to maximize approval 
and minimize rejection. Maximize approval and minimize rejection. That's its modus operandi. And it's, it learns to constantly watch our parents' reactions to our behavior to see how much love it engenders. Now, of course, this is anything but unconditional love, isn't it? Because if the child was getting actual unconditional or uh, better said, unconditioned or non-conditional love, then the child would ideally experience that Hmm, when I'm upset, I'm getting loved. When I'm anxious, I'm getting loved. When I'm hurt, I'm getting loved. It's sort of like I get loved just for being me. That's what's supposed to happen. And parents, even good parents, know they're supposed to do that. But if they're not very, very healed on the inside, they can't. It just can't. It's structurally impossible. It's not that they don't have good intentions. It's not that they don't really love their kid. It's just that they've got their own hurt, anxiety, rage, control, depression, and shame on the inside that's unhealed, that's reacting to the kid, which is a form of counter-transference. So there's no one to blame. That's not, it's not about blaming. Everybody's doing the best that they can, but this is where responsibility lies. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.